It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. It's 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so we are live, and we have two great guests for you today. Just in case this is the first time you happen to be tuning in, or maybe it's been a little while, thank you so much for being a part of the show and tuning in here as we uh, talk to our guests and find out all the cool things that they're doing and things that we should be talking about. I've personally met so many inspiring leaders and have this really... Um, real privilege to be able to invite cool people who are doing lots of uh, fantastic things with talent, culture, and leadership onto the show. And really, this show is designed to give you that opportunity to listen in instead of me just being the only one who gets to to hear what they might be uh, thinking about. And so, really, what's happened over the years is with a lot of these great conversations, that even turned into a book. And this year, I released uh, my first book, which is a bestseller now, The Power of Company Culture. And really, a lot of the stories and things came from uh, the different people we had in the show over the last four or five years, and so many fantastic leaders. So it really is a place where we can talk about some of the the best things about our companies and, and what we're doing inside there. So if you want to check out a, a book, please uh, go to Amazon and uh, pick up a copy of The Power of Company Culture. As I said, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and can be accessed live, but most of you come in after the fact on our podcast, on iTunes. You also find us on iHeartRadio. So, uh, again, thank you. If you There's already 10,000 of you a day that are coming in and listening to shows, which is millions in a month, and we really appreciate all the support. So, a big thank you to everyone who's a part of the show. And speaking of being a part of the show, we'd love to have people come in um, and give us questions and comments and feedback on Twitter so find us at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, is diligently waiting for those comments and questions, and he can try to work them into the show live, or we're happy to continue that conversation after the show. So find out PeopleG2. You'll find the handles for the guests there if they have them, and we'll keep it going there. All right, so let's get to my uh, to the actual show now that all the business is done. Um, as I mentioned, I have two great guests today. My first guest is joining... Um, all the way from Athens, Greece, calling in uh, via Skype. We'll bring in Lucy Adams, the CEO of Disruptive HR. And then my second guest will be Nicole Desain, the CEO of Talent Imperative, and also the president of Disrupt HR of Chicago, cool organization, which I've uh, been a part of before. So let's go ahead and bring in my first guest. Lucy, welcome to the show, all the way from Greece. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in Greece at the moment, but I'm based in London normally. So why don't you tell us, everyone, a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and what, 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 
What should we know about you and, and the work that you're doing in HR? Well, I'm uh, I'm a recovering HR director. Um, <laughs> I've I've been on the boards of some fairly major corporates in in big HR roles for about kind of 15 years, and I just got so sick of it. I got so sick of my own profession, and so decided I needed to do something that was really about helping HR and leaders just become so much more relevant for the 21st century because the role that I was doing in these big corporates where I was kind of continuing to peddle these processes, you know, the accepted wisdom in HR, these 1980s processes uh, like performance reviews and talent reviews and annual engagement surveys. And I just could no longer reconcile what I saw the needs of my organizations going through these unbelievable changes and what HR was doing. And um, most recently, uh, I was at the BBC where I was head of HR. So I think probably most people uh, that are listening into your show will know the BBC, you know, big broadcasting organization going through unbelievable change and just decided that that the only way that if we were really going to help organizations, whether they be in media or financial services or public sector, if we're really going to help them thrive in a disrupted world, then we needed to do some things completely differently. And that's where disruptive HR comes from. Well, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate you giving us that good overview. Um, yeah, if someone doesn't know what the BBC is, I'm not sure what rock they've been hiding under, but uh, <laughs> they, they should probably go Google it right now. Um, you, you know, so you, you started to talk about your desire and, and what really led you to start your company, Disruptive HR. Um, it sounds like, you know, trying to get out of that um, rinse and repeat and do the same thing over again that maybe was, really isn't working anyways. Mm. Mm. But was there anything else that really pushed you there? I mean, to, 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 to leave that kind of environment, which has its pros and cons and that safety net and all of that, to go out on your own. Were there other parts of, of maybe that process that were appealing to you that helped you kind of make that leap from, you know, sitting on boards and working in, in stable, large companies to, to being out there on your own? That's a really good question. And, and I think that, um, you know, I, I, I love now doing my own thing and we now have a, a small company so there's a small team but um you know i got really to a place where i think in large organizations it's really hard to get stuff done <laughs> and you know you've got an idea then you have to write a paper then it has to go to the board then there has to be some focus groups and some steering groups and some further research and and I, I must admit, I just love the fact that, you know, we can make a decision on a Monday afternoon and we're doing it by Tuesday morning. So I, I do love the pace of working in smaller organizations and quite a few HR directors of large organizations who are very frustrated will say to me, you know, what's my next move? And, and typically I'll say, just go smaller because you can get stuff done. And I think sometimes the allure of these big brands that we want to go and work with that look great on our CVs, but ultimately can be incredibly frustrating. And, and for those of you uh, in the American audience that don't know what a CV is, that's a resume, just in case. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> divided by a common language. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's you know it's funny. Um, and my my book was published by a British uh, company, Cogan Page, and all right, yeah. There was a there was a bit of um, arm wrestling there about how we would spell things, and yeah, um, yeah. They they won most of those battles. I think I won one of them, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah it's it's funny that common language we are separated by so yeah i mean so you know are there organizations that you think maybe are larger that are still able to do it i mean some of the best ones that i've studied do seem to kind of break things up and allow for a bit more of that agile working but i haven't necessarily seen that in hr and that maybe that's what you're talking to right now that you know as we look for the larger compliance model we look at it HR from risk assessment versus, you know, sales where they maybe are, are far, that same organization may be far more agile and in, in making decisions very quickly in the sales arena, but not necessarily in the HR arena. So do you find that it's broken up departmentally or is it completely cultural for the organization? I think that's a, a really good point because one of the frustrations I, I, I feel with HR is that we make a virtue out of doing everything on a very large scale, one size fits all, you know, system-driven, universal processes. And of course, life is like that. You know, in, in large right. organizations, you've got multiple cultures, you've got multiple uh, business needs, you've got individuals who are at very different stages in their career with different aspirations and different needs. And so, you know, given that the rest of the world in our you know, human lives is going towards personalization, everything is kind of customized, why would we make a virtue in HR of one size fits all? And I think this mindset where we kind of treat our employees as a kind of big homogenous lump that all need to have the same things um, really leads us to a path where we become less agile. And where I see large organizations being able to break that mold is where they are able to pilot and experiment and segment their markets like you would do in a sales and marketing organization and, and take a kind of consumer mindset. Um, and really think about who have we got, what are the different segments of our audiences, and how can we tailor and customize what we do. And, you know, some of this is not completely, I guess, our our leaders, our executives' fault. I mean, uh, on the surface level that, you know, legal precedents and courts and, and, and different things, there's been a lot of outside pressure coming into the organizations to tell us to treat people exactly the same or to show to document that we've treated everyone the same. And I think what's intended is that we've gave them the same opportunities, right? We've given as, exactly. as, as opposed to I gave everyone this form and everyone had the same right to this thing and, and, and what have you. So do you, do you find that that's part of the problem that they're viewing this too, too much from the compliance standpoint as opposed to the access standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think HR, you know, we've taken a position of either policeman or nursemaid and this kind of very parental <laughs> approach that we've right. taken, either either the caring, nurturing parent where we've got to provide everything for everybody or the critical parent where we kind of develop our rules and our processes designed to compensate for poor managers and design them around the kind of lowest common denominator in our organization. So many of our processes, when you look at them, they're there to protect us and the organization against the rogue two or three percent that might behave badly. And I think that's such a shame because what that does is frustrate the organization, the good people who actually just want to get stuff done, who are really capable of using their own judgment, behaving like adults. But because we want to protect ourselves from those one or two percent who are going to behave badly, we just produce so many rules and processes. And then we can say, oh, you know, we've done it. Uh, we've ticked that box. Um, 
we've got them complying, uh, we've got them passive, but that's not what we need. You know, we need employees who are agile and challenging and taking more risk and, um, you know, kind of trying stuff and, and, and being more innovative. And, and so we're not creating the environments that we need. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up that kind of concept of rules. I mean, this is something that I have been talking about for a while, that companies will often take the one-off, that one bad employee, that one bad experience, and then insert 50 more pages to the employee manual, right? Completely. We've all done it. You know, I've done it. (laughs) You know, someone somewhere does something wrong. Let's create a rule and a policy to make sure no one can ever do that thing again. Whereas most people have no intention of doing that. And instead of dealing with the individual, we create uh, uh, an environment where people are rule bound, but also we create a role for ourselves where we become the compliance officer. Right. Right. I mean, I love the example of General Motors, which, you know, their dress code is dress appropriately. It's two words. yeah, and my favorite dress code is a manufacturing company. And they say, if you have to look in the mirror in the morning and ask yourself the question, can I get away with this at work, you should change. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's genius. It's genius. Yeah. It just says, you know, you know what you're doing today. Um, it's like approaches to social media as well. You know, I love the kind of gap, Intel, Ford approaches. Say, you know, their rules are things like, you know, play nice, use common sense, if you mess up, apologize and take it down, you know, rather than these numerous um, rules that we create, which prevent anybody from kind of being an employee advocate, which is, of course, what we want. Right, exactly. Well, what are some of the different innovative ways that you're out there helping companies? We were talking about some of the problems, but what are some of the solutions? Yeah. What are the things that we should be th- you're helping us think about? Well, I I think for for me as an HR professional, I've never been more energized in in all the years that I've been doing it because there is real change going on and not just tinkering with our performance reviews and going from five boxes to three or doing our annual engagement survey, you know, twice a year instead of every year. Um, We're seeing some real interesting practices coming about and i would kind of group them into i suppose three approaches that we're seeing you know on the one hand we're seeing a a move to this much more adult to adult type approach so instead of spoon feeding people uh instead of um you know hr doing it all for them it's very much more the employee's responsibility to own their own careers and their own performance so we're seeing new approaches to performance management talent management where the employee is much more in control of driving the conversations rather than being sat down and given a an end of year performance review or you know school report card the second strand we're seeing is much more around the um, consumerization so this element of choice segmentation personalization um, so interesting stuff going on in Starbucks where they looked at their their workforce and said actually you know who have we got well we've got three types of people we've got highly ambitious people we've got people who are actually very interested in their own local local uh, cafe, their own Starbucks. And then we've got, they called them the skiers, you know, the ones who are only there working there for the cash uh, so they can go skiing or pursue their other passion. And how can we tailor and segment our approaches uh, to make sure we're 
really having impact and cut through. And then the final strand that we're seeing is this human aspect, because so much of our, so many of the things that we do in HR are not based on how men, how uh, human beings actually think, feel, behave, or intrinsically motivated. So, you know, moving away slowly, but moving away from the kind of annual bonus to rewards that actually surprise and delight moving away from traditional training programs, most of which is forgotten within 30 days, to micro-learning. So really understanding how human beings function and working back from that. So I think there's loads of exciting stuff going on right now. And uh, and what we do in a disruptive HR is we take the best of what we see and then we help um, organizations find ways that are right for them, help them discover new ways of delivering on the, any aspect of the employee experience, whether that be onboarding, recruitment, whether that be talent management, whether that be learning. Um, and there's so much happening out there, some of it technology enabled and some of it just rejecting these 1980s processes. Yeah, and, and very often um, I see that, you know, managers, especially those that are struggling, they really only have a few examples to really go off, uh, off of. And especially in America here, well, everywhere you have your parents, right? However they, you know, they were, uh, whatever their approach was, you have that to rely on and other adults yep. in your life. You have sports, a lot of people who play sports or in other types of those situations where the adult told you to do this because they told you to do this. And if you don't do this, you're, you're going to get punished or have to sit out or whatever. It's, you know, do what I say because I said so. And, and then all of a sudden we release them into the workplace and we expect them to be, you know, innovative and wholesome and to totally get how to manage and inspire people. And yet all of their examples are this command and control, this old type of uh, system. So how do companies get people from that starting point to a better spot? Is it training? Is it, you know, what, what are some of the ways in which they might start exposing them to these new ideas? You know, sometimes it can be very simple. Just um, when uh, an employee goes to their line manager and asks for permission or approval, instead of the line manager giving them the answer or giving them a yes or a no, is saying instead, you know, I don't know, what do you think? Or I trust you, use your judgment. Mm -hmm. And so just some of these kind of real little behavioral nudges that we can create. Some of it is more systematic. Um, so as we said, instead of uh, making them follow a particular process, I'll give you an example, uh, a company in the States actually and their approach to onboarding. Instead of them going into a room and HR sits down and you know gives them 58 PowerPoint slides <laughs> and tells them, you know, this is what's expected of you, here's the fire exit. Um, what they do is create a scavenger hunt and they say, look, you know, here's some people we want you to meet. Here's some places we want you to go. Here's some things we want you to find out about. Over to you. Do it in your time and in a way that suits you. Uh, another company uses onboarding in a very interesting way where it's a company in India where they, instead of seeing induction and onboarding as a time for uh, broadcasting and, and getting them to conform, is actually saying, we want to use this period to find out what is special and different about you. What are your unique talents and strengths? And how do you like to work? How do you problem solve? How do you learn? And then sharing that with the line manager. Now, the rubbish line manager is not going to do anything with that information. They're going to carry on the same way they've always done. But the better ones might be able to adapt their style. So I don't think this is always a big initiative. Some of this stuff is just really small little behavioral nudges. 
Yeah, and I guess that's uh, it's important. I guess it's that access, right? With continuing um, companies that continue to to at least attempt, right, to make some of those connections and continue exactly. to exactly and just yeah. just try stuff. You know, J- instead of it being something that has a you know kind of six nine month uh, project phase where we roll it out, just try some stuff, just experiment. Um, and this is what we advise our clients to do, you know, and if it fails, it doesn't matter. Start small, pilot in a particular area where it's not going to cause a huge amount of effort. Uh, it's not going to cause a huge amount of reputational damage if it goes awry. Uh, work with leaders who they may not be the best leaders in the world, but they might just get it. They might just be curious um, and uh, and just try something. And we're seeing you know, more and more leaders saying to their HR people, you know, it's kind of, is this it? Is there not anything more? Um, so there is an appetite. There is a curiosity. And I think, you know, it's our time. What are some of the other ways that uh, companies or maybe some examples or some ideas of how they might be doing talent management better these days to, you know, to really adapt and to, uh, I guess, deliver uh, in into what's sort of effective today, right, or are going to be effective tomorrow? Yeah. Well, I think we've uh, we've really lost our way with talent management. You know, I mean, uh, God, the, the amount of times I've sat with leaders and tried to get them to do their nine box grids, you know, and uh, losing the will to live when they don't understand. And how did how do I differentiate between performance and potential? And we've spent so much of our time trying to get leaders to categorize their talent, um, often often for for little effect and for no change and for uh, and nothing happens with that. Information information. So instead of these big, bulky, cumbersome annual talent reviews that take up an awful lot of HR's time and don't go anywhere, we're seeing a real shift, moving away from this idea of our need to categorise talent and instead just having clusters of leaders and line managers. Western Union did this, I understand, where they just got clusters of uh, leaders together and we said, all we want from you is one hour a month to talk talent. We want you to uh, just come and talk about the people that are in your team, some of the issues that you've got going on at the moment. Um, they weren't particularly good at it at first, but they got better because it's a, it was a regular, it was a you know it had a rhythm and a pattern, um, and they did it once a month. We're also seeing uh, simple things in talent, which is about instead of focusing on the minority in these high potential programs where we put a huge amount of money, and again, all the research tells us that there's no real return on that investment, because potential is contextualized, right? It's not It's not an absolute thing. So what we're seeing is a move to really thinking about how we can get much more movement um, on a much wider scale with the majority. So one company I work with, they have an approach which is growth isn't optional. And as an individual, you can either move up you can move sideways, or you can just get much better at the thing that you're brilliant at already. So this idea of becoming an, an even more, uh, even deeper expert, but standing still isn't an option. So what we're seeing are approaches which are just much more fluid, much more agile. We're seeing Hearst uh, Publishing, they did something where they said, you know what, we're not going to have performance reviews anymore. We're just going to have regular career conversations. Something that we're launching is a um, just conversation starters for employees to have with their line managers and line managers to have with their employees with just some conversation starters to get them going around a, a career conversation and what would that actually look like. So 
lots and lots of uh, innovative practices which are, um, I say, much more fluid, much more agile, and moving away from these bulky, cumbersome approaches which have typically been about categorizing talent and then creaming off the, the top two or three percent um, and putting them on an expensive uh, long-term program. Well, Lucy, you're, you're really kind of touching on so many awesome things and um, really appreciate you calling all the way in from Greece. Um, we have just oh, a, you my know, pleasure. a few more questions uh, before we round this out here. And, and the first one is, you know, is there a gadget or an app or maybe something cool you've added to your life or process this year that you might share with our listeners? Well, one of the things that I found that is such a cheat, I mean, it's terrible, but it is a real cheat, is Blinkist. Have you come across this? No, what is that? So Blinkist, you know how you're in meetings and everybody seems so well read and they were always kind of you know oh yeah that latest leadership book or that book on philosophy and um and you think how the hell do they have time to read all this stuff <laughs> um right. and of course they don't what they're doing is they're accessing blinkist which gives you a brilliant three little page bullet point summary of all the great stuff that's out there so you can look as brilliantly read as they do without having to sit there and wade through all this stuff so i'm loving that at the moment i'll have to check that out that's great uh we love uh, reading so many of the book suggestions. And speaking of which, what book are you reading right now or a book that you maybe regularly suggest people check out? Oh, well, I'm, I'm afraid this is going to be... <laughs> I'm reading um, a spy thriller. I love Cold War thrillers. All you right. know, the kind... Yeah, I know. It's uh, George Smiley and all of that stuff. Uh, John le Carre stuff. So I think I'm just reading one of those at the moment. I can't even remember the name. Remember before Kindle, you always could remember the name of your book because you'd be able to look at it on the cover. Right, and now right. it's on Kindle. You can never remember the name of it. But it's, uh, it's, it's a spy th thriller that I'm reading. Well, we've run the gamut here on uh, Talent Talk from biographies to spy novels to children's <laughs> books to everything. So everyone has got their own thing that they're into. That's why we love to ask the question. So how can people get a hold of you or learn more about Disruptive HR if they're interested in, in knowing more about you? So they can just go onto our website, disruptivehr.com. Uh, we've got loads of free stuff on there. We've got free diagnostic. We've got loads of blogs. We've got some podcasts. Um, so, uh, yeah, your listeners might find that interesting, disruptivehr.com. Well, Lucy, again, thank you so much for being a part of the show today, giving our listeners some great things to think about and use their own career and their own experiences. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point uh, and oh, give us an update. Oh, it's been a real pleasure, a real pleasure. Have a great day. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this uh, quick commercial break with my second guest, Nicole Desai. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that PeopleG2 offers something different. At PeopleG2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? 
Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. My, my next guest will be Nicole Desain, uh, the CEO of Talent Imperative and also the president of Disrupt HR Chicago. As a reminder, don't forget you can tweet your questions uh, at PeopleG2. Keep that conversation going. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. Let us know your questions, your comments, your uh, suggestions on who we should have on the show, everything there. We would love to have that conversation going. But let's go ahead and bring in my uh, next guest. Um, Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what's important for us to know about you and your company, Talent Imperative. Sure. Uh, I'm from Germany originally, as you might deduce from my slight accent, just to get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> I started my career in a leadership development program at Daimler Chrysler Financial Services, working on strategic HR and talent programs, and then joined Accenture as a leader in management consulting, where I built out their talent-related offering, including talent acquisition maturity diagnostic, employer branding toolkit, and so forth. And about three years ago, I started Talent Imperative with the goal to help organizations move from talent management to a more talent experience frame of mind. And, and so maybe we could talk about what are you kind of currently really passionate about in this area of talent management? I mean, where, where you're kind of seeing the, the, the funnest places for you to be, to be doing your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so about two years ago, I worked with a client on a talent acquisition project, and I was pulling together a hiring manager workshop when the CHRO said, you know what, our innovation lab has a method they use that our leaders are familiar with. Why don't you chat with them? So we ended up co-designing the workshop, and the method they used was called design thinking. And since then, I've become a student and a teacher of human-centered design. Um, for example, I'm a mentor in Northwestern's Master's in Learning and Organizational Change certification program right now, where I guide students through a real-life design thinking project. And I'm really passionate about the power design thinking can have in the area of HR and talent experience design. And so since then, I have incorpor incorporated it into our offering at Talent Imperative. And, and my vision really is to start a movement that aims to make organizations more people-centric through the power of design thinking. So maybe you could give everyone a brief overview of what design thinking is. I mean, maybe people out there have never yeah. experienced this or heard of it. So what does that really mean, at, at, you know, regardless of, I guess, who's the practitioner or where in the company it's going to? What does that kind of look like? Absolutely. So in a nutshell, design thinking is a method for creative problem solving. Um, it originally emerged in the 90s and was codified by Stanford D School as a five-step process that consists of, so number one, empathy immersion, so putting yourself in your audience's shoes. Second, uh, research, qualitative research, interviews, observations, and so forth. Third is ideation. That's what most people associate with design thinking, all the sticky notes. And um, on the flip charts, that's ideation. Then four, step four is prototyping, and step four is testing. Um, and the method was originally applied to product design, then web design and app design, and most recently, uh, service design. So, for example, it's now used in patient experience design. And the last frontier is really applying it to the workplace and to the talent experience. So it sounds like a you know a, a pretty pretty good framework. I mean that's one of the most important things that companies can do, 
is to have a framework that they've adopted. And mm-hmm. you can, I think we all can argue about which one is the best one and which one we like right. the best. Or, but I find that it's just having something, right, that people can mm-hmm. can use as a process and the structure to actually do that work is is what's the most important. Maybe you could talk about why do you believe design thinking can kind of be that game changer then for as we look, you know, into HR or even uh, really for helping leaders find the best talent. Yeah, absolutely. So according to a Future of Jobs report by the World Economic Forum, the top three future skills are complex problem solving, critical thinking, and creativity. And all these skills are really part and parcel to design thinking. They're skills that our employees will need, they're skills our leaders will need, and they're skills the HR function will need. So people are messy and complex, and design thinking offers a way to solve these complex and messy problems. And I believe that HR can lead the upskilling around this. What an opportunity to be strategic and consultative. We always talk about that in HR, right? So my mission is really to turn HR and talent leaders into design thinking superheroes. So how, how do we get started with this process? I mean, is it a, do you need to have training? Do you have to get going? Or is this something that you know people can kind of gradually start to learn and implement into their process? Yeah, it sounds, you know, I always get the question or the, the response saying, hey, Nicole, you know, this sounds really cool, but I'm not a designer. You know, I don't, I don't draw. I'm not creative. Um, and really, um, the answer to that is everybody is creative. It, it's just, to your point, it's a muscle that you need to practice. So there's a lot of literature around design thinking, um, ranging from IDEO CEO Tim Brown's A Change by Design to Jack Knapp's Sprint Book. Um, but what I found in my research is that there isn't, there aren't, a lot of resources around applying it to talent. So I collaborated with the online learning platform Skillshare and created a 45-minute video-based course, Design Thinking One-on-One for Talent Leaders. So it's free out, it's out there. Check it out <laughs> for anybody who's interested. Um, and then once you understand sort of the basics of design thinking, then to your point, it's really picking sort of small areas in your work where you can experiment with aspects of it. So is it the research part, is it the ideation part, or is it the prototyping? And then it's a skill that you really get better at the more you do it. I know you do a five-day program for companies, and one of the things you do is called a HR Hackathon, which sounds like a lot of fun. Um, maybe you could talk about what that is and what other parts of the program are, you know, could be game changers for companies if they want to take part in something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. so, so we are really... Um, uh, want to create a movement around creating more people-centric cultures um, through the power of design thinking and talent imperative. And part of that is to offer sort of approachable programming that meets different needs. And so one of the ones you mentioned is what we call a talent sprint. So that's a five-day program. It's the end-to-end design thinking program, pro, uh, process and tackling a specific talent challenge. For example, if you look on our YouTube channel, there's a case study where we tackled the new hire experience with Arity, uh, an all-state spin-off. And um, I recently interviewed the client from Arity, and, and the impact of the program was just astonishing. After just eight weeks, they, they were able to create a prototype, test it, design the new program and implement it in the organization. So, so impact is one thing that we look at. And then you mentioned the HR Hackathon. So that was initially designed for Disrupting HR Chicago. So what we do there is we ask the community to submit a talent challenge that they might have. We pick sort of a winner, and then we invite 50 
peers and facilitate an ideation session around solutioning around that challenge. So in the past, we had um, employee engagement for non profit and diversity recruiting for Chicago startup. So, yeah, you, you brought up Dis- Disrupt HR. Um, I've been mm-hmm. uh, fortunate enough to, to give in a couple of different uh, Disrupt talks, which are always a lot of fun, trying to squeeze it all into just those few minutes they give you. Um, yeah. And you're the president of Disrupt HR uh, this year there for Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. How have you seen this program kind of you know transform and become you know a really uh, impactful part of the world of HR? Yeah. So um, I started the Chicago chapter a little over two years ago now, um, and I think at this point there are more than 100 chapters globally and more than a thousand videos I think on the Disrupt website. So there's impact in, in sheer numbers I think. Um, and the excitement surrounding it. Um, the impact to the HR community in Chicago has been really amazing. So we have now more than uh, 1,500 community members, and event tickets are considered the hottest ticket in town. Not my own words. <laughs> Other people tell me that, so <laughs> I take that as a compliment. And my vision was always to build a community of HR innovators that goes way beyond the signature sort of TED Talk style. So starting last year, we have created year-long programming for audience for our sponsors and for our speakers. So, for example, we now do the HR hackathons. We just introduced a uh, virtual lunch and learn. We actually just had one today on innovation. Um, and we also launched a podcast called HR Uncensored. So for those events, we bring back previous disrupt speakers and panelists and, and so forth. So um, we've seen an incredible interest um, and excitement around just mm, doing HR events differently, I think, is, is the common theme. Um, and just uh, talking through some of those future work, if you will, sort of topics. Right, right. And those are really important. I mean, having a different way to talk about these things. Um, I know for a lot of people, they can like they can get in and get exposed to a lot of different ideas in a very short period of time. Um, yeah. And then, you know, if, if a particular idea really resonates with you, well, then you can go and learn more about it and go deeper or connect with that person. Um, as opposed to going to a you know two day three day event where you listen to one speaker an hour and a half right. at a time, um, yeah, people don't have time for that anymore. That's one thing, right? Time, uh, and then the whole concept around edutainment, as I call it, right? Combining education with the entertainment factor. I think those things is, are just contemporary in how we learn today. Quite frankly, yeah, absolutely, and. I always seem to be at night, and they're kind of a different uh, scenario, and you get different. Some people can't just get away from work. I know the disrupt events I've always been in have been at night, and um, which is kind yeah, of a different uh, feel to be doing your learning after hours, and there's cocktails or whatever. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we've been asking um, our guests, and I'd love to kind of get your your thoughts on this, is you know, is there an app or a gadget or something you've you know, added to your process uh, this year that you might share with us that we can learn from? Yeah, so we started using Zoom for our virtual lunch and learns um, for Disrupt HR Chicago, and I also use it for my virtual meetings and virtual coaching sessions. So uh, I also use it at IDEO as well. So I'm a huge fan of Zoom for any kind of virtual meetings and even sort of not your mama's sort of webinar type things. Yeah, it's a great little, um, it's a great app. It seems to really have, I don't know, somehow built on and improved on the other types of environments that are out there. 
Uh, we mm. really enjoyed having that one as well. And our, our first guest mentioned uh, Blinkist, which was really interesting for uh, books and other uh, kind of learning, the, kind of getting the cliff notes, I guess we would call it here in, in the States, um, mm-hmm. uh, of, of some of the top uh, books. Uh, so speaking of books, is there a, a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually, actually t- uh, tell you about two books, if that's okay, one for fun and one for business. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's start with the fun one first. So I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, <laughs> uh, nerd factor. Um, and since the gaps between the shows are becoming just too long to bear, I decided to do two things. One, to do a disrupting HR talk on Game of Thrones and design thinking. Check. I did that. So that's out there for anyone interested in that. And then secondly, to read all the books. So I'm currently on the fifth book, A Dance with Dragons. So that's the, the fun behind-the-scenes book. Um, and then for business, I tend to read many books at the same time to, to inspire my work. But the one I'm hooked on most right now is called Business Model Generation by Alexander Osterwalder and Eve Pinier. Um As a fairly new entrepreneur, I joke sometimes saying that I'm getting my real-life MBA in entrepreneurship right now. I constantly educate myself around entrepreneurship. And this book really resonates with me because it takes a design thinking approach to designing and redesigning your business. So um, I can recommend that to anybody who wants to rethink, not only that is an entrepreneur and wants to rethink their business, but also uh, it's good for strategy redesign as well, applying design thinking methods. Well, those sound like uh, great books, and I think a lot of us share that uh that frustration with the Game of Thrones and how long it takes to get from one to the other. In fact, I kind of stop watching. I just kind of want to wait for that all to be done, and then I'll just go back and binge watch it because it's just there's right, too much time in between. It drives me crazy. I'll read the books in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely good to do. Um, well, you know, you've mentioned a lot of great things on the show today. Um, you know, if you kind of did a summary, if there was something that you really hope that. If maybe someone only remembered one thing that we talked about today, is there something that you hope that they might remember or take away as a summary point? Yeah, actually, I got two again. It's the theme, too. Oh, good. So, uh, <laughs> one is again, so really give design thinking a try. Um, and let me know if you have any questions or need help. I'm a total nerd in that area and happy to help. So, um, it's really not as daunting as it seems to sound. Um, and really try, you know, small steps and experiment with it. Um, I would recommend that. And then secondly, find your HR community. So for me, uh, it's Disrupt HR Chicago, um, but find your own um, because we just need to accelerate the pace of how HR is evolving and through community and co-creation, that's one way we can do that. And if you can't find one, then find your own. You know, um, in the spirit of entrepreneurship and design thinking, we are all sort of micro-entrepreneurs. If it's not there, found it and you will be surprised by how many other people are waiting for you to do this <laughs> right right well um the other thing i wanted to ask was you know if we look at from a leadership development standpoint and it, it was there a person was there a situation or maybe you know some maybe a particular manager or someone that really impacted your leadership um style right the way in which you you now manage people and that you interact with people you know if you look back in your past was there a a person or an event that really you had a big impact on that 
Yes, so I was fortunate enough that very early in my career, I had um, great managers and also great mentors and sponsors. Um, So the CHO at Daimler Chrysler Financial Services back at that time, he was sort of my mentor and sponsor. And both him and my senior manager, um, what they did great, I think, was I was very junior in my career, but they put me... Um, on leading pretty significant projects right away and presenting in front of the board of directors, which is you know one of the most horrifying experiences you can have <laughs> so young but at the other on the other hand, you know um, you learn very quickly how to communicate with executives and um, how to manage projects, how to speak executives so um, I guess that's what I've tried to do is sort of stretching people who report to me, giving them stretch assignments and trusting them and just backing them up when they mess it up or fail, right? Because you've stretched them. Guess what? They will mess up. So um, I think that's something that I try to do in my leadership and that I learned that very early on and, and that's a great lesson. Yeah, I love that idea of, of stretch assignments. I mean, that's a great mm-hmm. way to get people to intentionally make mistakes, intentionally mm-hmm. have have some uh, moments where they didn't quite get it right so that you can help them and, and they can grow and they can learn and um, but also have real experience, right? You didn't give them some homework project that wasn't, you know, really going to mm-hmm. impact anything. Um, right. ha- have you used that in other ways? Yeah, so I mean, for sure. So when I was a manager at Accenture, right, a management consulting, the top five firms in management consulting, that happens every day. Um Every day, you when you work with with clients or um, with your teams, there's something the clients come the client comes into the room and asks you, "Hey, can you just map this out really quickly on the wall?" And um, you have to think very quickly on your feet. You have to be a great problem solver. So, um, for sure, having gone to the consulting school, I call it right, um, has accelerated my learning in that space by I would say five years. And same with my teams. Um, you know, it, that's just a way of working that you um, make your own. I always joke like once a consultant, always a consultant. There's just a way of thinking that you take with you no matter where you go. Well, fantastic. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about Talent Imperative or and also with uh, Disruptive HR in Chicago? Sure. Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is via email, Nicole at talentimperative.com, and I'm also on LinkedIn. And I also have a Twitter handle, Nicole the same. And you can learn more about Talent Imperative at talentimperative.com. And um, the Disrupt HR Chicago chapter is also off the main Disrupt HR website. If you Google that, it will come up all over the Internet. <laughs> well, Nicole, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and uh, be a part of the show. And uh, we'd love to talk to anyone else uh, over there doing your Disrupt uh, events as well. And uh, But thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Bye. And thank you to all my listeners for being a part of the show today. Hopefully you gained something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Next week, my guests will include uh, Steve uh, Pat, Pat Scott, a consultant with Spencer Stewart, and Karen uh, Volo, the chief joy bringer. I love that title. Uh, a director uh, of... Uh, Evolution. Probably not saying that correctly, but we'll get it figured out before next week. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.